welcome to this week's episode of the Python People podcast. Um, and this week we are very lucky indeed to be joined by none other than Tony Fish. Tony, welcome and thank you very much for being here with us today. Thank you, Guy, and what a delight and what a pleasure. Thank you. Not a worry, not a worry. And um, so, Tony, I guess for, for those people that have yet to have the, uh, the pleasure of making your acquaintance, um, do you want to give us a bit of a brief synopsis of your, your background and uh, your kind of history to date? Yeah, delighted to. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm an engineer and a very proud one by background, and I still um, play around in the engineering fields. I'm lucky enough that engineering has taken me through uh, building up and selling of five businesses and um, uh, I've been involved in three substantial incubators, um, two as founder and, and one as a general partner. Um, we've run three venture funds. I've made about 400 investments now uh, and totaling um, just over 3 billion uh, uh, in funding. Um, coming back from a year sabbatical, and looking at, um, I suppose, the future of corporate governance and the future of actually how we deliver better businesses. Superb, superb. So I guess we should, uh, we should, we should listen to what you've got to say then. <laughs> you clearly know what you're talking about. <laughs> I think that's a very dangerous thing. I, I've been very, very lucky and I've been surrounded by some brilliant people. That's, uh, wow. that's a much better thing to say. That's what a brilliant person would say, you see. Good answer. <laughs> uh, it's either that or well trained by my wife it's you know the options are still there <laughs> oh, very good very good well i guess either way thank you very much for uh, for being with us and uh yeah really looking forward to, to having a chat with you today and i no, guess thank you no worries i guess to sort of throw, frame the, the chat then today so we we got chatting recently on a call and and uh, i think the conversation led to a topic that we're i think we're both quite passionate about um and that's the topic of, of mental health um, and I think, I guess, with everything that's going on in the world right now, this is a topic that's even more poignant uh, with everything that we're kind of all living through. Uh, you know, huge amounts of, of stresses and, and pressures coming from all angles for, for people at the moment. Um, you know, just huge change taking place, I guess. You know, there's sort of so social isolation happening, um, everybody working from home trying to juggle, you know, managing work life and, and family commitments at the same time. Many people worried about their, you know, their, their job and, and kind of financial security as well. And it's a time, I guess, where understandably, you know, one's mental health could be quite adversely affected. Um, yeah, I still think for many people, it's a relatively taboo subject. That would, that would be my interpretation my, my impression I guess of kind of where we are at the moment in society you know it's not many people really still prepared to, to kind of open up and really talk about it so I thought it would be good uh, you know in a useful place to start you know to, to kind of get some ideas out in the open and, and talk about I guess one of the biggest changes that's happened in the corporate world over the last you know few months uh, and that's been everybody working from home you know because whether you're a fan of it or, or not um, I guess it's something that by and large, the majority of us have, have had to deal with in some way, shape or form, unless you're a key worker, that is. Um, but um, yeah, I'd be interested to know kind of where do you, where do you sit on this? Uh, you know, and, and how do you feel about remote working and, and, you know, the impact that, um, you know, it's having on us as, as people and our, our subsequent mental health? Yeah. And, and thank you guys for introducing it so, so well in, you know, I, I'm I'm delighted. First of all, I suppose that um, that um, Prince William and Prince Harry have been at the forefront of 
getting people to take mental health seriously, um, which has been a, a great agenda. Uh, I still worry that we call it mental health um, because of the connotations of, of a huge proportion of society. But that's probably me being a white male of a certain age. And uh, I, when I talk to my daughters about mental health, they, they take it seriously, um, looking at burying people. The, I suppose it's this prospect of, of what actually is the issue of, um, and if we could call it, instead of um, homeworking, working remotely or anything else, um, you're working in a home environment, which is, a, I know it's very subtle, but it's a big difference. Uh, because people are still working. It's just the environment in which they are working from is, is different to either what they believe they were going to work from or uh, is not as productive as perhaps the environment which, which they, they were used to. Um, what's evident is that everybody has behaved differently and there's no getting around that. And the complexity of mental health means that we've got some people who have absolutely loved it because the environment where they can be affords them a situation where they can actually flourish. For some people, it's meant they've actually not been able to draw boundaries and they're going into burnout. And for others, it's put so much pressure that they're actually going towards breakdown. Um, so within the, within the environment itself, I think it's just a, a hugely complicated issue. Um, from your side, Guy, what's, you know, uh, you run into mental health why what's your level of interest and in, in, as we flow through this conversation yeah good question i think for me personally you know i could really relate to you you know when you say that as a as a kind of a, a white male um you know it's something that i think for me there always has been that stigma of you know it's it's i guess by and large rightly or wrongly uh kind of a weakness uh you know to talk about mental health it's just something i've never really been that that comfortable I guess opening up uh, up about in my my kind of formative years my kind of young years um and it's only really as I've got older and I think probably I use the word matured uh in a relatively loose term because if you ask my wife I definitely haven't but you know you know what I mean in, in certain ways I feel like I've grown a little bit older and a little bit wiser and I just feel a little bit more comfortable now talking about it because I guess you know for me personally um it is something that um I think my my work life has impacted my mental health uh, quite a lot over the last few years, um, you know, in, in quite an adverse way in some ways. And there were times where I just wasn't really necessarily aware what was kind of happening. Um, it, it was almost like sort of happening to me. Um, and I didn't really have that kind of perspective, I guess, to um, sort of take a step back and, and sort of take the, the helicopter overview and look at the situation a bit more um, impartially. Um, but, you know, I, I can I can now quite comfortably speak, speak out and say, you know, there have been some really dark times for me personally in terms of the way I've um, you know, my, my personal health, my, my physical, well, my physical health and my mental health. Actually, I feel it's been adversely affected due to uh, the world of work. And it's something I'm really kind of very, very passionate about sharing with other people now, because um, I think it, it has so many people do suffer in silence and. I just think, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm hugely grateful. There are big advocates now, like the, like the, the princes that are kind of stepping forward and, and really sort of taking the issue uh, mainstream and, and sort of getting it out there. Because I think a lot of the time it's just awareness, you know, more awareness to, 
to any subject you know creates more dialogue creates more conversation and people realize oh okay actually it's it is something that we can all talk about um but it's just something yeah, i'm i'm hugely passionate about um you know and also now i've kind of become a dad as well yeah, a few years back <laughs> i had my, my first daughter three years ago uh, got a little nine month old as well and I just think it's so important if I can kind of help them be really open uh, and talk about their, their mental health. And like you said, you know, with your daughters, hopefully, fingers crossed, by, by the time they're old enough to sort of want to talk about these things, it is a bit more, uh, you know, widely accepted. Um, but yeah, just, just on many fronts, it's something I'm very passionate about. And, uh, and like you think it, it could do with a lot more airtime. Yeah. Um, I, and it's, it's the thing I think that we're, what we don't know is what we've lost and we can't quite put a word on it right now. Um, in the office environment, for whatever reason, when we gathered together, we had a community or we had connectedness. Uh, we had a togetherness mm. and it doesn't matter how many zoom calls you make and how much you look at somebody and how much you do phone calls and interactions and documents. There's something deeply human about being together. Yeah. And we, we would, there's two things that we've, we've kind of like lost and one we've gained. One is we've probably gained a more togetherness with our families because we are together. And actually you've looked to them for the touch, the feel, that connectedness to humanity, which maybe you don't get because you're not at home an awful lot. So in a way, home lives have improved for some, not for everybody. And in other aspects, what we've lost is that we've lost that togetherness of uh, of our tribe, of our community uh, in, in the office environment. And the, the issue that I suppose so many of us struggled with was that was our, it was a place where we had connectedness and that connectedness has been lost. And we don't, we can't quite put our finger in what we've lost, but we know that we haven't got it anymore. Mm. And the question I suppose that for so many of us is, are we going to get connectedness from another way um, i.e. just our family or maybe just our friends in our local community and, and that's where we're going to gain it uh, or are we desperate that the only place we can get our connectedness is through our in fact our work environment um, and this is where you start to hit you know i suppose diversity of people which becomes so critical um, that you know for some the only human connectedness they get is at work mm. and therefore this has been a you know a horrifically lonely place being isolated and it's it's not just isolation which you felt because you were away from other people but an isolation which actually was enforced um yeah. so we, we've got a whole bundle of, of different issues that are coming up um about what we've actually lost and how we're going to replace it yeah yeah totally agree and i think your point is a really you know, shrewd one around it is different for everybody, isn't it? I guess, you know, everyone's got different work commitments. Everyone's got different um, personal commitments, you know, different um, family situations. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this very much through the lens of, you know, this has clearly been a horrendous situation we've all been living through for, for many, many reasons. But, but, but generally speaking, I will kind of look back on my time over lockdown in, in quite a favorable way. Um, you know, that, that there have been, very stressful times absolutely where they've got a couple of toddlers charging around the house but uh, but generally speaking i've just i've really enjoyed kind of quite i suppose it's a bit of a simpler way of life um being able to spend more time with the kids um you know for me personally 
I have really enjoyed that. And thankfully now, you know, we do have technology such as this, you know, where we are almost able to feel like we're sitting in the same room as each other. Um, and it's, it's allowed me to continue kind of doing my job what I believe relatively effectively. So, um, you know, for me personally, it's, it's been a relatively, um, enjoyable thing, I guess. Um, but I fully get your point, you know, if you have been on your own, um, living in a, an apartment or a house, you know, without any human contact, it must be a horrendous situation to be in. And I guess it's that kind of, um, that sort of juggling act now that a lot of companies, I guess, are sort of facing moving forward because I mean, in my line of work, um, obviously invariably I'll speak to a lot of people on a daily basis about kind of job satisfaction and, and how they're feeling about it. And, and I'd actually say by and large, a lot of people have felt quite, you know, um, positive about the more flexibility, you know, not having to get up at the crack of sparrows every day, put a suit and tie on, uh, you know, commute into an office just, just to be in the same place as other people. Um, you know, and I think a lot of people, I do will have kind of changed their perspective on the world of work now and, and are reluctant to sort of snap straight back to the five day a week commute. Um, but in the same breath, I also think it's made a lot of people like you mentioned there realize that, that connectedness is a real thing, you know, having face to face interaction with your work colleagues is a real thing. And it's, I think there's, there's a certain amount of creativity and collaborative, you know, um, work that you just can't do over a, over a zoom call, no matter how great this technology is, I don't think you can ever fully replace kind of being in a room, um, you know, and, and sort of just seeing the whites of someone's eyes and, and just, just, just reading their body language and all that kind of thing. So I think it will be interesting to see, where we do come as, as kind of a balance off the back of this moving forward. Um, and I suppose now it's for a lot of companies to really sort of set the, uh, the parameters of what is a new normal work week like now, what is it? And, uh, you know, bearing in mind, we've been doing this for kind of five months now. What, what do you, what do you believe most companies and employers are kind of feeling about remote working now we've been doing it for five months. Do you think a lot of them are, are kind of, in favor of it and, and like to do more of it moving forward do you feel that they're you know uh looking to get straight back to to where we were five days a week in the office what are your what are your thoughts um from, from the number of um portfolio companies i'm involved with and, and picking up from some of the the views i'm picking i find it very interesting that some people uh, as leaders and leadership teams definitely want to see, see for some reason they want to see people physically there to believe they're doing work they, yeah. they have a real mental block that the same work can go on. Now, I don't know if that's because they can't work remotely or they, there's something in them. And I, I really do struggle. And I've had some pretty frank discussions um, about what the issues are, uh, which we haven't uncovered. And I don't know the answer to that at all. Um, a number of them seem to be running off um, based on what I think is onerous data. and um, They've done, they've done things like job satisfaction surveys and job satisfaction survey has come back as um, a marked decline from when um, they did the last job satisfaction a year ago or two years ago and, and they do an annual. So these are quite big companies. Um, I'm just not convinced we're asking the right question when we ask about job satisfaction. And therein lies a really interesting problem that um, for the last five years, if you asked a job satisfaction question, 
you can actually kind of like look at the delta between them because you had the same environment, roughly the same people, probably doing much the same work in much the same way. Um, therefore, what you could track was a delta. You know, were, were people more satisfied or less satisfied? And, and it wasn't actually a satisfaction. It was a change in sentiment between one year and the next. What we've seen in the last five months, as you said, Guy, is that we, we've changed our working environment. And suddenly, um, it, it's not about, it's still not about satisfaction or not satisfaction. It's completely different. And for some people, really satisfied because they can work. And some are very dissatisfied because they can't work. Some are overly productive and they're finding that's a problem, even though the company is looking at the performance figures saying it's brilliant. We're not sure if any of it's effective to pick up the word you, you just used. Are we actually doing the right thing? We know some of it's efficient and we know for a bunch of people, they, they, they just can't perform because of their environment. So you, you suddenly, we have a different sentiment problem when asking about job satisfaction, because it's actually, how is your new working environment? And is it actually one which you're more or less satisfied compared to last year, which is a completely different measure? Mm. And for so many people, they haven't shipped out second screens. They haven't shipped out decent laptops. They haven't provided broadband. They haven't provided a comfortable chair. They haven't provided, you know, decent communications. They, you know, they've kind of like told employees to get on with it. And hopefully we're muddled through and in five minutes, we'll be back in the office and then going, oh, well, all our employees aren't satisfied and therefore we should get them back in the office rather than going, did we create a working environment for them to be able to do this? So mm. I'm, I'm, I'm neither convinced or not convinced. I think we have totally the wrong data to make that decision on. Sorry yeah. for a bit of a ramble on that. But. No, no, I think totally, totally spot on. Yeah, I think that um, a lot of companies aren't going to be making this decision based on data or, or really kind of the right employee feedback because I think most, most people would probably say you know unless you're kind of pretty kitted up to work from home i.e you've got your own workspace like say you've got your two monitors you've got your comfy chair which let's face it a lot of people haven't um you know they probably are going to say well actually i feel like i, I can kind of get more work done in more of a productive way in an office longer term um i do i do think that um, but i also think that a lot of people actually what they really want is is autonomy and flexibility to work when they want to work and deliver the way they want to deliver and i think home working as as you know good or bad as it's been logistically in terms of you know infrastructure technology and your setup at home i think has has awoken people to the hold on a minute why do i need to be in an office five days a week in the same you know room as somebody else the only reason really i can put it down to is because my boss is telling me to do it because at the end of the day i'm actually quite happy you know not necessarily getting up very early doing the commute i'd rather get up a little bit later have breakfast with my kids probably crack open the laptop do a couple of hours of work in the evening uh you know as long as i'm delivering and doing doing my job um you know why do i actually need to do that and i think a very good point that you made earlier on about you know rightly or wrongly a lot of companies historically i think have not had this um 
you know, not be brave enough to kind of make the leap of allowing people to work from home because they think, well, you know, it's got to be the, the eye of Big Brother looking over people. If people aren't, you know, um, being watched, they're not going to be working hard. And it's kind of like if, if, you've, if you feel that about your employees, you're employing the wrong people, in my opinion, because it just fundamentally comes down to a, a level of trust. Or you're asking them to do a job that really just isn't that enjoyable. Um, because if people are really truly engaged in the mission of the business, um, they will work, you know, because they want to, not because they have but, to. Um, you raise um, you raise a really interesting point there, guy, um, by going, you've employed the wrong people. Um, I suppose I come back the other way and go, I've probably got the wrong leadership team. I, I'm not yeah. going to blame any of the guys I've employed. We've employed the right people because they do the job. The leadership seems unable to understand why people can actually work from anywhere. So actually, I think I have a leadership issue rather yeah. than an, a, an employee issue. And that's coming out in the fold because some leaders we're seeing have an emotional maturity and what they've been able to do is upskill themselves in the last five months. And they've become, uh, they are no longer getting board reports. They're no longer doing finance. They're no longer doing marketing accounting. They're no longer doing all those jobs they've done forever. What they've become is head coach, league counselor and, and, and therapist. And what they've actually done is, is open up a whole new series of skill sets to be able to deal with their staff in a completely different way. And those who are the efficiency, effectiveness, you know, genre are going, yeah, I need them back in the office so we can whip them more. Where the other ones are going, actually, what we need to do is find a far better way to support their, our entire staff in a completely different environment. And therein lies, I think, one of the, the fundamental cruxes we've got, which is so many CEOs do not want to train up. They just are, they're in their mindset, which is now closed. I've reached the pick of the tree. Um, I, I'm at the top of the pyramid. I don't need to learn more. And they're the ones that I'm having real issues with. And the ones who are completely open-minded and going flipping neck, this is whole new stuff. We need to learn more, do stuff by embracing what actually is needed are the emotionally mature ones. And I totally agree with what you're saying, which is actually, therefore, the mental health of the employees is actually substantially changed by the attitude of the leadership team. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, very, very uh, apt observation. And I'm glad you kind of reworded it and, and put it back to me because you're dead right. And I, I totally agree. Um, yeah, I think that, that's like you said a lot more articulate, articulate than I, I could have. But um, but yeah, I think so much of it is down to the leadership. And, and I do think that employees will respond in turn as well, you know, and I know in the past in situations where you haven't been given that autonomy and you kind of haven't really been able to feel like you can breathe or kind of put your own spin on things. You invariably fall into this dynamic where, you know, it's, it's like two magnets repelling against each other and you do just push away or fall away and you don't perform at your best. Um, and you know, I do, I do genuinely believe that leaders, you know, that, um, that have that kind of draconian, outlook longer term they won't get the best out of people um and i think this whole situation um will, will really highlight that and i, I totally agree you know the, the the people the businesses i think they're really going to survive and thrive throughout this time moving forward are those that actually think okay what's the framework then we need to put in place around these people it's not i don't think it is sort of a binary black and white in the office out the office it's like okay, what's the framework we need to put around people and like you say treat them as individuals see them as individuals because everybody has 
individual circumstances. You know, a 35-year-old person with two kids is probably going to want something different to a, a 23-year-old grad. Um, you know, so it's, it's being able to be flexible. Yeah, I also think it's a very good point you made earlier about maintaining a company culture because that's the other thing I do feel. And, and it's something I'm still really trying to wrap, wrap my head around. You know, there's so many in, in the world of recruitment, so many people choose to join a business because they have quite a almost palpable kind of yeah, culture and a feel about the office, feel about the environment, feel about the employees, you know, when you kind of meet people. And, you know, over over Zoom, that's a really difficult thing. It gets very heavily diluted, I think. And if, if we don't have sort of situations where people are spending time together on a face-to-face basis, um, I do really wonder how that kind of company culture is going to be maintained. Um, so what are your thoughts on that in terms of, you know, what's the long-term, if we do sort of re- resort to more of a, a remote working, you know, digital working kind of way. How do you think businesses can sort of maintain their their culture and what what differentiates them from a another company that does the same thing? Yeah, um, uh, I know the, the real reason. I have I, I sort of fundamentally haven't got a clue. Have not got a clue. Um, and and it, you know, it's one of these things when I've read quite a few articles on it, and I'm going, they haven't got a clue either. But at least they've got an opinion, and I'm not even sure. I've, got an opinion yet um and part of the problem is most companies have fairly much come to realize in the last four or five years you don't have a culture you have 20 or 30 cultures and right now if you've got a thousand staff and they are able to work from home so you're not a retail manufacturing key worker one of the other critical businesses where you have to be in a workplace suddenly you've got a thousand cultures and therein lies the problem is there is there an overall value to what's happening? And it comes back to the fundamental principles of going, you know, do we know where our North Star is? And are we heading towards our North Star? And if we're heading to our North Star, who's got their hand on the tiller? Do we believe the person who's actually navigating us towards the North Star? And where cultures always come into it is, is the vehicle or vessel that we're in fit for purpose? And are the people who are in the vessel or in the vehicle um, fit for purpose for getting us there. And that was sort of like the culture because you, ha- you were in this bubble of a vessel um, to get you by somebody who was steering on the tiller to the, to the North Star. And right now, what I found really interesting is that for so many people, they've gone back to ask the question, is the North Star this business is aiming towards the right North Star? And we've kind of like got many people have got locked into businesses because it paid their mortgage. It did this, it did this. And that as an underlying principle meant that you had to get up at six in the morning, you know, and follow a routine. Now that routine has been broken. We're starting to see, I think more and more people start to question the very um, purpose of the business, which they're aligned to. And so I think we are going to see a bit of a seed change where, where both companies have got to react and people and staff, effectively employees, will start to react as well and start to align better to what they believe is a good underlying purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, with also the reduction for a large number of people who would commute a decent distance, which wasn't repaid by the business. Um, once you've realized you can work from home, you don't need to earn the same salary. And if they don't need to earn the same salary, it means that they can take a wider proportion of jobs, which 
changes fundamentally what's going on. Um, yeah. So we've got a whole, I think there's a whole series of economic resets which are coming because of COVID-19. And this isn't, you know, we've done five months and everything says nudge by economy thinking, we are now in a new economy, which is therefore let's not try and ham hamper back to the old. Let's, let's embrace what we've got. But we're going to be in this, you know, until December 2021, probably mid-2022. Um, even with, you know, some vaccines that may or may not appear, but whatever happens, it's going to be part of a regular business. So kind of like it, it, we are going towards something which is very different to what we had, and we're going to see a lot more people change their lifestyle. So it will be much harder to go what people hoped for to go back. That we are going through a time of change. Yeah. About it. Yeah. Uh, but I still have a series of questions myself, which is, how do we deal with what you described, the whiteboard scenario? How do you deal with the serendipity? How do you deal with innovation, creativity, those things which spark together because you are together? And they're the things that worry me is that in so many businesses, you had that moment of overhearing a conversation, which meant something else. And we've lost that. You don't overhear things. So how, how do you know you're not informed? How do you know that you don't know what's going on? Um, and they become so much harder in today's environment to what they were before. Um, because people often haven't had to communicate in a particular way because there was serendipity. So I, I'm, I do worry for businesses, for people who now are remote and lonely and actually have lost that, that connectedness. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I think, it goes back to your point there about the, the North Star. And I think it's those businesses that I personally believe kind of had a quite strong, strongly entrenched purpose before this whole change that I feel are going to weather the storm better. You know, I feel those companies that kind of didn't really have that and they were kind of just driving, uh, driving after being a profitable company. Um, I, I think again, uh, you know, that, that, that culture it, it's not going to be held together by, you know, it's being, being held together by dust and feathers at the end of the day. I think, you know, if you've got a really strong purpose that people buy into that is above and beyond, um, you know, numbers on a board, um, I think those kind of companies are going to fare better throughout this time. And it's interesting you mentioned the, the, the you know, the terminology, the North Star. I mean, sort of without turning this into a self-promotion exercise, but the, um, the, the whole premise of True North and kind of the, the very name itself and really when I kind of founded the business, that from my, my previous experiences of, of a whole of my career, really, the one thing I was really keen to, um, you know, get right in, in the culture or the purpose of this business, and it's going to sound really mumbo jumbo and really cheesy, but it's genuine truth, is above and beyond, I wanted to get out of bed every day with people that were happy to be at work. You know, and, and that's, that's, that's the purpose of this business is to put more smiles and more faces in the workplace. And that, that may sound really, really cheesy and people are probably going, oh yeah, right, you're a recruiter, surely it's all about profit. It really isn't. Like, at the end of the day, of course, I want the business to do well, of course, I want it to be profitable. But first and foremost, it's about are people happy and are they engaged? Because if they're not, you know, it doesn't really matter where you're doing the job from. And I certainly think in these times now, you know, people are going to fall more by the wayside if they're not engaged or by an overarching purpose. Um, and that, that also extends out into all the candidates and the clients that we place. You know, it's, it's, a, it's an overarching ethos that I have that I'd rather not place a candidate into a 
company or into a job that I don't think they're going to enjoy. I don't think it's the right fit for them. And I don't think they're going to be happy in that job. Um, and I do think that, you know, businesses that, that kind of piece that together, like now can kind of really start working heavily on their purpose. And you know, what is the thing that genuinely makes them different, you know, unites their workforce and kind of puts that, that, that bigger picture together for people. I think they're the people that are going to be able to navigate their way through the storm a little bit better than those that yeah, are still I'm, still focused on I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw a spanner in the works, um, which I, I suppose is a, you know, it's, it's, my great granddad had one job. My granddad had one industry. My dad or our dads effectively had three jobs in their lives. Um, our generation probably have seven to 10 jobs in their lives. Our kids are going to have three jobs at the same time. They're not going to have the availability of one employment and actually going forward, there might not be three jobs at the same time. It could be five jobs at the same time. Now it's not that you're doing five jobs in one day, um, you could be doing one job a week. You'd be doing one job for two days and then swapping. They're going to have a completely different way of um, both thinking and actually delivering. Now that introduces some really big, serious issues around culture and this idea of satisfaction mm. and how many people are actually going to go to job because they're skilled at a particular work, but actually will take their satisfaction in a completely different place. And if we tend towards that connectedness could be outside of work that could accelerate us towards three jobs at the same time because jobs just become an economic activity. It absolutely doesn't go down the satisfaction route. And part of the question I think we've, I've got is what data do I need to collect to be able to actually un understand if people are there because of economic survival and growth, how many are there because of economics that they want to be, how many are there because they actually believe the purpose and how many are there because it's uh, the, the community in which they're in? I, just, I don't know the answer and, and how that ebbs and flows over time, because this is all data we've never collected. But I've got a feeling it's going to be the more critical data, but I don't know how to collect it, what data will tell us it and how we'd analyze it. Yeah, no, good, good point. I mean, I, in my kind of um, years of, ex of experience working in recruitment, it is something as I, I, I would ask really, I suppose, on most phone calls that I have with people is, you know, what are you looking for in your next job and, and, and what are your motivators? And, and by and large, I do genuinely think that one of the things that would instill longevity of tenure in a role um, is first and foremost, enjoyment of the job. And secondly, buying into a bigger purpose of the company above and beyond just taking home a paycheck every month. And, and that's, that's really, I'd say, in my kind of you know, 12 plus years experience in recruitment, two things that by and large, most people, if they have those things, they will stay in a company. Um, you know, generally speaking, people only really move on. You know, they say you don't, they don't, you know, you don't leave your job, you leave your manager. Um, and I think that's quite true. A lot of people only really tend to move on when they kind of fall out of love with the, the people they're working with, or they just don't feel that the people in the business kind of have their best interests at heart. But if, if they're genuinely happy in what they're doing and they're genuinely engaged by a bigger purpose, I do think that um, yeah, people will, will tend to stick around for longer. So I, I do get your point as, as we move forward and we're entering into kind of a digital era and there's obviously multiple different ways to make an income these days and sort of passive revenue streams with, you know, kind of 
marketing and Bitcoin and all this kind of stuff, you know, I'm sure the whole employment world is going to be a very brave, brave new world in the next sort of five to 10 years. Uh, certainly when I think my, what my kids might potentially do as a job. Um, but I do think just human psychology um, will always be the case that, you know, if people are spending eight to 12 hours a day doing something, um, they're going to want to be emotionally engaged in it. And I get your point about it. It's, it's an economic right call. I need to do this to make money to survive, to get my connectedness maybe outside the office. But I think if you can choose to have both, which I do think is possible. And I think, you know, the fact we are living in the digital era now and that the spread of information is so much more widely spread and, and opportunities are so much more um, visible. Um, I do still think they're, they're key uh, characteristics that a lot of businesses really need to be working on uh, behind the scenes, um, in my opinion. Um, the reason I ask it is because where we started at the beginning of the conversation, which is mental health. And does that put an undue pressure on a bunch of community, a bunch of society that that's where they should be? And they, that's not where they want to be. They, that's absolutely not where they want to be. They, they don't want to get the satisfaction from work. They want the satisfaction outside of work or they want something else. And therefore, if we create a societal norm or any societal norms around work, job, employment, income, um, does it actually create an undue mental health in itself? Um, mm -hmm. So we, we, I just don't know that we've got, um, we've suddenly got the availability to kind of like rethink what we define as work, what we define as a job, what we define as employment. Um, why don't we take that chance to actually um, look, look at them through a lens of going, how do we avoid mental health problems by allowing as much flexibility in those definitions as possible? Yes. Yes. No, it's a really interesting question. Absolutely. And like you said, ironically, you know, it does, does always back, ball back down to making informed decisions, I guess, with the, with the right data, isn't it? And it's, that's, that's that exercise in itself that if we can crack that, I guess it's going to allow us to make uh, more of the right decisions moving forward. But I suppose just where we are right here, right now, Tony, I mean, what do you feel that companies could and I suppose should be doing for their employees at this time? um to protect their mental health you know because at the end of the day it's uh as i say this this situation doesn't feel like it's going to be resolved for a wee while yet to come um and for those people that are kind of already potentially at the precipice of um you know not not a great place uh mentally or physically um you know what could companies be doing to help yeah um guy brilliant question um I'm not sure I've got to get an answer. I might vaguely have an opinion. The problem is my opinion um, asks more questions. <laughs> Sorry to <laughs> go around it. But um, I, I suppose because I, I center now that we need data. That Yes, we, we could make a complex judgment and we could go down. Um, look, I could do this gut feel and da 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 da, da. Um, Kind of like I don't think gut feel is good enough right now. Um, you might get it right. You might get it wrong. Everyone celebrates. Somebody gets it right. Everyone thinks the person who got it wrong was a moron. It's that's not helpful. The question is, I don't know what data we need. And actually we should go on a voyage of discovery, which is encouraging different employers almost to gather different data. Um, and be quite open and transparent with all of their people, what data they're gathering, how they're analyzing it, what they're analyzing it for. 
to see how they can pick up um, determinants which say people are suffering. Now, to me, this could be really valuable where your employer, employee relationship changes from employee employer relationship to one of we owe a duty of care. And I think a lot of businesses don't want to take on that role of duty of care. And I've got a feeling that actually the only way we're going to see it is, is it challenged in court almost that some of the data that companies are collecting on their employees will be challenged that the companies, the, the employees will say, look, you could see in this data set, I was struggling and you chose to do nothing about it. And that's the thing that I think, something you said earlier is very insightful people will make a choice and what they'll be making a choice about is the reason i want to work for this company is it does collect the data and it knows that i'm either performing not performing it knows it knows something better about me than i probably want to admit myself mm. and it owes the duty of care and it does something about it and it's the and 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 which really matters not oh you collected a load of data and you told me i was inefficient it's like that's that's no relationship that's yeah. sort of going back to a, a capitalist-based society only interested in profit, which kind of like was dropped after Milton Friedman decided that, you know, um, shareholder capitalism was the only route ahead, which kind of, we did that in the 80s and we proved it didn't work. Yet too many people still believe it. Mm. We kind of like need a new mantra of what data should we collect? How should we analyze it? What does that tell us about the mental health of our, our staff? Um, who are actually our team and actually they're bigger than that if we move to the next one and say this is our tribe what is the health of our tribe and how do we do what schools have started doing vertical um, vertical mentoring and vertical tutoring and horizontal tutoring and it's like you're you know you start creating networks inside organizations purely to create that serendipity again but again I think we need data to prove how people are going to do it if it works for them, if it doesn't work for them and what the value to the organization and the organization being the value to the tribe actually is. And I, that's what I'd love to see, but it's going to take some pretty bold leaders to put their necks out and go, we want to collect data on you staff, but we're doing it because we're going to create a duty of care. Yeah. And it's that duty of care that really matters. Um, rather than we're going to collect a load of data on you and then tell you you're rubbish. Yeah. Totally right. Totally right. I, I, I massively agree with that. I think it's very much down to the the leadership to to be bold and because uh, I, I still feel rightly or wrongly there is in a lot of companies this perception that you know employees are are disposable resources and um, you know that can be um, you know replaced at a moment's notice and and it's it's not healthy it's not a healthy relationship. And I think that, you know, there are times where we are right here right now, without a shadow of a doubt, there are people out there that are going to be in, in a worse state now than where we were six months ago. Yeah, facts with everything that's going on in the world from a mental health point of view. Yeah. And um, I think companies really do need to take a long, hard look at themselves and, and do what they can. Of course, I know they've got to remain financially solvent, but do what they can to support, uh, their employees through this time because I also agree with you that I think you know just that process of somebody actually feeling like they care about you know your mental health and your mental well-being that in itself I think is something and not it's just something you say but they're genuinely caring about it like you said and really putting that framework of care in place um, you know I, I think it 
it should be, it should end up being more of a symbiotic relationship between employers and employees. You know, it's a partnership more so than, you know, you're here to do what we want you to do until either you don't want to do it anymore or we don't want you to do it anymore. And then it all ends. It's like, you know, I think it's, yeah. those days are rapidly coming to an end. Um, you know, and I think that companies need to yeah, sort of, it, yeah. It's, yeah, that employment lie, you know, basically companies make the job sound far better than it actually is. So they, they do lie. To, to the to the people to attract them because that's what they want to do and the employees lie about all their skills expertise because they know if they don't lie they'll never get a job and yeah. so we we have the whole of the employment piece most often built on the complete lie between two parties and when the when one or other of the parties get bored of the lie basically it all falls apart and you know that 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 relationship has to be repaired and it's only going to be repaired by leadership and i think leaders who are currently saying we need to get our staff back into the office in one way, they could be absolutely spot on because the type of work that they, that company does means that people have to be in a physical environment. So you can't just throw everybody in the same bucket and say, because a leader is saying, get back to the office. It's wrong. It's not. The question is um, for me, what date, what new data is that employer and employee going to gather on each other? to be able to improve the relationship based on what we've learned in the last five months. And yeah. those companies who don't change that relationship and don't go and gather new data and then basically offer a duty of care to their staff are, are the ones that, you know, where you're placing people, they, everyone's going to get, we don't want to work for their company. Mm. Yes. Yes. I think very, very succinctly put um, to be honest. And I really like that kind of employment lie analogy i've never heard that before and i think you, you're totally right you know it's um we just need to be be more real about it and stop pretending uh you know if we're, if we're not in a good place let's be honest about it you know um and i think that's something that uh, the world could benefit from um totally so uh so yeah but um well it's a very fascinating conversation and i think we've uh, we've hopefully thrown around a few interesting perspectives there and, and you've certainly said said a few things that have set my mind uh racing and, and um you know, some things i've not thought about before so you know i, I guess uh, i just want to say thank you again tony for coming in and sharing your viewpoints really really valuable um and, and i hope that there's uh, some people out there that have also got some value from it as well no thank you for inviting me and thank you for the discussion really enjoyed it great well we'll, uh, we'll catch up soon no doubt indeed take care okay take care bye for now